Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. It was February of 2020 in Seattle, Washington, when the first positive COVID case came to light. As the rest of the nation went about their regular lives, Kirsten Brinson, who's the executive director at Kid Center, felt disbelief and shock as she bared witness to people going about their regular lives while the virus was already wrecking massive havoc on her two locations. As a leader of 50 teachers, 100 families, and 150 children, she holds great responsibility for the well-being of many people. On top of that, Kirsten is wife to Jimmy and mother to Jenna, who is 22, and Cassidy, who is six, both who come to the centers every day. We open with Kirsten sharing her initial feelings as the news began to spread throughout America. So um, for me, when I really realized that this was real was when Italy started to shutter in. Uh, And that was such an aha moment that they were telling all of their country or their residents, like, stay inside. And it felt so like, sometimes you hear that in different countries, you're like, oh, yeah, this is happening. Um, But then because we had a case in Seattle, it really, like, set the alarm bells. Like, whoa, did you hear that Italy is like, they're staying inside their homes. They're not coming out. And then now all of a sudden we have that first case in Seattle. And that really felt like a, oh, this is stateside. This is real. Uh, This could be us. And then it just progressed so quickly. It was like a matter of days that it all of a sudden, it wasn't just Italy. It was us. And we were saying, nope, the governor was saying, you're going to stay inside. You are going to 100%, we're locking the city down. We're going to do this. And the whole city just had this buzz that was electric, almost like, I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas, but when you walk down you know, the strip in Vegas, it's got like a buzz. Um, that's how Seattle felt, was very like, something's happening, which was scary, but also surreal. Like you didn't believe that it was, it, this was really happening. What really happened was uh, when our governor locked the state down and the governor said, you know, we have, um, a, you know, a nursing facility that had 36 cases. We were the, the state that had that, that it just blew up and the military started rolling into town and they set up like a hospital triage on our football stadium. Um, that was very like, 
okay, this is actually happening. What about my extended family? Is this like a, you know, something crazy from the movies? Like, what is this going to, what's going to happen? Like literally there's convoys driving down the freeway and you're seeing it and going, what is this? Is this real life? And so I think for me, what I had to do, I had the luxury of knowing that both of my children were here with me. You know, one is a teacher and one is a student. And so that felt very much if something happened, if something big zombie apocalypse happened, I can get my kids out. <laughs> like, so that was such a resting assurance that I would be able to do that. And that gave me the wherewithal to also focus on the business because I didn't have to worry about driving an hour to go get my family. Um, and so I was able to really sit down and I think I also have some natural instincts uh, that just come into play. My survival instincts are very fine-tuned and they just like, bam, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it was just um, a, a racehorse at the gate. And this is how we're going to react to this. As COVID raged throughout the city and across the nation, Kirsten needed to consistently pivot. She was from the first leaders to introduce online learning before it was even a thing. And she prepared care packages and continued to think strategically of how to take care of the people that she served. Kirsten is no stranger to hard things. Life has taught her time and time again that no matter what life throws at her, she will rise from the ashes. So I am a foster child. And so for me, I think that, you know, I had a really rough childhood, um, you know, grew up in uh, a rough, you know, apartment complex, that kind of thing. And so I just learned early on, uh, also that survival instinct of, you know, no matter what, I'm going to get out alive. My friends joke that, you know, if there's a, an apocalypse or something like they want me on their team. Um, like I'm the one that everyone's like, no, well, we're going where, where Kirsten's going. And I think that that also conveyed to my teachers because when that happened, everyone just said, Kirsten will know what to do. Like, and it's just a, a quality that I have that people just look at me and say, well, I'm going to go where that captain goes. I want to highlight here for those of you that are listening and you know, you're listening to Kirsten speaking. You're like, God, that's such a badass of a woman. And she is, but I also want to talk about those instincts are badges of honor. Those are scars and dirt under her fingernails and bruises that she's earned throughout her life experiences. What I want you to take from that is understanding that when you walk through hard things, if you take the time to close that feedback loop, it will be armor for you as you go into the next challenge and crisis. So I think one of the reasons you're able to mobilize so quickly is because life had taught you all of these things and you opened that resource bank and said, I need you tools. Like you have served me once time in my life. I need you again. You need to show up for me again in this moment. Yeah, I feel like as a leader, I'm very resilient. I definitely am a rubber band leader. Like I, I can pull and come and make hard decisions, and, but also be empathetic for what people are going through and try to like problem solve through without necessarily fixing the problem for them. There's also just a time in life. And I think COVID was one of those times where you just have to suit up. 
And those badges really, it's like a soldier where you just have the bands on your arm. Like my bands came out uh, where I was like, nope, I'm the Colonel. Let's do this because somebody has to be that person. And there's so many, I felt so passionate for my teachers who were looking at me saying like, what are we going to do? And they're worried about their livelihood. Several weeks into lockdown, as government made announcements of a stimulus package and relief, many school leaders looked at this as a sign that help was on the way. But Kirsten had to make decisions about employment before those announcements ever came to light. She had to dig deep into her resource bank to make these decisions. You know, when the governor went on and said, we're gonna close everything for two weeks, And we don't know what the government's going to do yet. You have to remember, Seattle was already two to three weeks ahead of everyone else uh, when this all happened. And so those big government decisions about stimulus checks and unemployment and all of that hadn't been made. There was no reassurance at that point. So like our city was already in the funk of it. And then we're saying, don't worry, we're still going to pay you. No matter what, you're going to have that paycheck. I'm going to make sure you have food in your belly. And that's really the kind of leader that I think they needed me to be because the fear was going to take over and that would have created a bigger situation for all of those teachers and the children. At the end of the day, when teachers are emotionally stressed, all it's going to do is impact the children. I want to speak to the person who's listening, who's probably asking herself, how did you trust your decision-making? Yes, you've been through hard things. Yes, you've been through hard moments. And so you naturally stood up as like, I'm going to take us through this crisis. But there was so much conflicting information coming from every single news and media and a health outlet. How did you discern what to listen to and understand this is the decision we're making and trust that this is the best decision I made in this moment and when I need to change it or when I need a course correct? I'll do that then. One of the bigger decisions that we decided, my husband and I, in April was to stop watching the news. We decided as a family that watching the news was not in our best interest. We needed to outsource information from credible news sources. And I think that that was such a huge weight off of our family's um, shoulders because Eileen, Democrat, my husband is a solid Republican. And so we are house divided. And so we would watch the news and feel frustrated and we're frustrated with each other. And, and then also, too, you don't know what to believe. And so then you're trying to form decisions based off of media And then you've got social media and you've got all of that. So as a family, we just came together and said, um, number one, we're not going to argue about things about COVID, about vaccines, about elections, about riots, about anything. We're not going to argue about that. We both have very different stances on this. But we are, if, if you read something that you feel would pertain to my employment, I will share with you. And if I feel like I've read something that will pertain to yours, vice versa. I think that was really a pivotal moment in our marriage as well for us to look at each other and say, this is bananas. We're waking up at 5 a.m. We're watching the news and we're going to work frustrated about stuff we don't even know is true. And then that, how do you make decisions throughout the day? How do you carve out these big, high level decisions when I'm already kind of irritated about information that is probably fake news? I think for me, it was really having the emotional intelligence to take this step back and go, 
we have to stop. We can't fall into this trap. And then seeking out the information and going to the right you know, news sources and not being inundated. Um, that really helped us as, um, you know, as a couple, but also as a leader, it really helped me know that he had my back. Um, there was somebody in my corner who was trying to help me. And then there's, you know, I'm doing the same for him. He, he works for the government. So I also had to like, kind of like, okay, well, what kind of information are you getting? So there was that piece as well. I think what's critical here is you had the discipline to say, in order for me to show up well over here, this is a conscious thing that I need to say no to, because that will give me emotional and mental bandwidth to make these big decisions here. I do think every leader ultimately has the strength inside of them to make really hard choices. I think the leaders that flounder versus the leader that rise up is the one who has more emotional bandwidth and capacity. And a lot of that has to do with what are you feeding your brain? What are you filling your mind with? The COVID-19 pandemic brought to the forefront many mental health challenges across the world. For many teachers, they've been struggling with this concept for a long time. And COVID just exacerbated all of it. Many leaders have lost their sense of how they can envision a better future for themselves, which is called futuristic ideation. It's our ability to protect ourselves against suicidal thoughts, where we can travel into the future and realize that the current state of our condition is temporary. Change is a constant, and there is a brighter and better future. But that's hard to do when we're bogged down with a consistent mental health struggle. Studies have shown that depression has tripled in U.S. adults just in this year alone, with an increase in anxiety and suicidal behavior. Kirsten worked hard before COVID to create a great culture, a place where her team felt safe. As the daily high-stake decisions and the constant change of pivoting weared on herself and her leadership team, Social unrest broke out in the country. Seattle once again became the eye of the storm. As she slowly bared herself from that saga and brought safety and security back to her team, Kirsten was hit yet again, this time with a personal tragedy, with her mom's passing. However, even with so much personal pain over the last months and the trauma sitting so close to her heart, she wanted to step up for the team again and speak truth to the burnout and the exhaustion that she was feeling so she can make space for them to feel their hard feelings and come together. Kirsten has created so many new initiatives and growth from all of this. Let's hear from her how she did that. I think before COVID, we were on a clear path for, uh, we had gratitude challenges that our managers were conducting for our staff. We were really laser focused on making sure that gratitude was a foundation within the culture of our schools. And at that time, we only had two. Throughout COVID, we actually are now at four um, because we made some you know, decisions uh, to help get us through. And those two schools were very focused on gratitude. It was really um, part of who we were as a company. 
I, I definitely could see that play out when the whole pandemic kind of hit. Everyone kind of gelled together. They were very thankful for employers who stepped up and continued to pay them and let them work at home. And we created systems where the people that when we decided we were going to reopen, if you weren't ready to come back to work, we you know had a program that you could go into where you could get 75% of your paycheck versus 100 uh, my mother passed away, uh, which brought up a huge amount of like childhood baggage um, that just kind of resurfaced right in the middle of not only is work bananas, you know, my sister gave birth to preemies. Uh, they were in the ICU for like 123 days. Uh, there was just a lot of family stuff too. And I think for me, what I really try to focus on um, is I have a unique ability to compartmentalize when I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I'm at home, I'm at home. And that I know that people always say like, you have to leave your home life at, at the door. I actually can. <laughs> and I really work hard at it. So Seattle definitely struggled with the social injustice. We, we had protests every single day. Uh, we still do we lost a part of our city. And so there was a lot of, you know, military again coming in, like the military came in for the COVID part and then they left and now they came back in again. Um, there was a lot of police unrest. There was a lot of, you know, just a lot going on in this city. And we are located downtown right in the, like on the fringe of where that was all happening. So, you know, for me, when that started to happen, to be honest, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> like, are you kidding me right now? I just like hopped over a hurdle and now I got to do this. Again, it was one of those things where you just have to say, like, I don't have the opportunity to just lay down. I'm never going to be the person that just gives up. So at that point, we really started to think like as a company, um, what can we do as a company to address this? We implemented a new program within our curriculum called Teaching for Change. That is where the teachers choose a book and they develop curriculum based off of a, off of a social topic. And we really are infusing our curriculum to just go that extra mile of it starts with kids. Everything that we, we believe firmly as a company, that the only way for us to make a difference in this country, in this world, we have to start with these children and we have to show kindness. We have to teach kindness. We have to teach how, what equality looks like. We have to teach these topics. And if we don't, then we're just, we're part of the problem too. We also went back and we reformed some of our policies. So now all of our staff have a floating holiday that they can use for anything that they want. What If you want to use it for Juneteenth, feel free. If you'd like to use it for Indigenous Day, feel free. You don't have to use a vacation day. We want to honor people's cultures, beliefs, and uh, where they're at. And so we're really trying to be progressive as a company. And I think that, I don't know necessarily if that would have happened. I think we would have just continued to have our, you know, our standard, you get two weeks of vacation. I think it caused us all of that unrest and, you know, social injustice and the protests and, you know, all of that, it happened and it caused us to take a step back and say, are we doing everything that we could be doing? Let's check our hiring practices. Let's look at our diversity in our classrooms. Let's really, are, are we teaching topics that are really impactful to children? Um, so it's also changed who we are as a company. 
Um, and I'm really proud of that because it also takes a lot of courage during a year that you're already exhausted, all of your courage and bravery to step back and say, is our curriculum enough? Is our hiring practices enough? Are we really like, are we game changing enough? I want to take a little turn here and now talk, you know, until now we've kind of really been speaking to this bold, courageous, daring leader who almost is afraid of nothing um, and is ready to step straight into the lion's den. And so I want to talk to the more tender, more loving side of you at this moment and really speak to how the consistent exposure to the crisis and to the chaos how it impacted you personally and the choices that you made to not let it destroy you. Something that I've really learned is the self-care piece. And when I need, I am, I am the first one to say I take a bath every night religiously is who I am. My husband knows this. When I am done with dinner, I'm probably going to say I'm going to go take a bath. It's just a chance. And even though my six-year-old jumps in with me, it's just a chance to like, be warm and kind of thoughtful. And, you know, I do some of my best thinking in the shower, to be honest, like you put me in warm water and I'm a major thinker. And so that for me was, I didn't deviate from that. I also, this year I started a, in January before COVID, we started, my friends and I started a, um, a challenge, a weight loss challenge. We stuck through that the entire year, uh, even though really I wanted to eat my feelings. I kept saying like, I'm not going to do that this year. It would have been so easy. Um, still lost 50 pounds, you know, during a pandemic. And so for me, it's really, I don't know if it's tender so much as really just saying to myself, like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's down and dirty. It's rough. It the going get tough and the tough get going. And, but still being kind enough to myself to say, go to bed at eight o'clock every night. You can't stay up and work. You're not going to, those parents, those parent emails are still going to be there at 5am when you wake up. Mm -hmm. um, staying up till midnight was not serving me anything. Uh, so I really had to check myself and, and not allow myself to get immersed into everyone else's needs. Yeah. And besides for taking care of yourself in that capacity, it opened up your heart and mind to see what were your program directors and administrators going through in that season. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you helped your team check in with themselves, both mentally and emotionally, so that they can be better leaders for the teachers and children? So uh, we have uh, about five or six managers, uh, give, give or take, you know, roles change uh, from time to time. And during that time, what we really did was uh, check in with all of our directors and our managers and just uh, allow them to have the space. Something that we did right in the beginning was we had a a Zoom meeting when we were all at home, we closed down for about three weeks. And when we were all at home, we just had, I had a Zoom meeting where I was like, guys, let's just unpack this. Tell me what your fears are. Tell me what you're feeling. Feel free to say anything. If you're scared to come back to work, just say it. It's okay. Because I don't know that you're feeling that way. And I can't help you work through those feelings if you don't tell me. And so just sometimes having the space, we also did that a little bit in September when we all started to really feel burnt out. And saying to everybody, like, I admitted it too. I was like, guys, I'm so burnt out. 
I like never in my life have I ever said the words, I am burnt out. I am toast right now. And just being able to have them hear me say, I'm at max capacity right now. They all sat at the table and were like, yeah, us too. And it, and then it actually, it just, we got up and we said, we can still do this, but we had to acknowledge it. There's something powerful and just saying like, tell me what's going on with you. I'm not going to be mad at you. You have no fear of losing your job if you're burnt out, but we got to make a plan. Like if that's how you're feeling, I got to give you an extra day off or I got to schedule you for a massage or I need to like, I need to know that you need extra care. And so that really was a, a hard thing for me to admit as a leader. It was really, really hard for me to say, I am so burnt out this year. Burnout has unfortunately received a lot of negative conversation in our industry. Many school leaders believe that if I'm burnt out, it means that I've lost my passion or my spark, and that means I have to go somewhere else. Teachers fear stating that they're actually burnt out because they worry, will it lead to me being laid off or fired? Kirsten shares her analogy of burnout, and this is the beginning of a new conversation and creating a new definition of what burnout means. I think there's such a stigma with the term burnout in our industry. And when a um, teacher or an educator leaves a center and a director will say, oh, she's just burnt out. And so it's, it's almost like, like you quit. It's associated with quitting instead of associated with saying, I right now, my tank is empty and I have to go to the gas station and just put some more in. So there's an association with it that has to be removed. Mm -hmm. For me, what I wanted my team to understand is just like you take your car to the gas station and put gas in it so it can continue to drive. That's what burnout means for me. It's okay that your tank is empty. Let me fill you back up. But if the light never came on on your car, how many people would be stranded on the side of the road? Empty, right? So there has to be indicators that tell you now's the time to fill up. And, and I think that that there was such a, as a leader, I'm so, I'm so strong and I'm expected to be strong my whole life as a foster kid, you know, with siblings and you have, you have to be strong. And so that was really hard for me to just say, this year has kicked my butt. I, I'm empty and then not give up, just say, okay. What next and how can we fix this? As the COVID-19 pandemic continued to wreak havoc across the nation's economy, owners of childcare centers and companies around the world needed to make hard decisions about furloughs and layoffs. For any leader, this was a very challenging decision to make. And Kirsten decided to bring in all of the managers into this process. I think as a group, how we looked at manager responsibilities, delegation, um, what's important for our company, values, mission, goals, um, just so that we could really think to ourselves, like, how are we going to make these hard choices? Like, it is hard to decide who are you going to lay off. That Those are intense conversations. Um, but we included all of our directors. That's not just an upper level decision. They needed to be included in that. They needed to have be able to say, like, I... I feel passionately that we need to keep this person. And those were some decisions that had to be made this year, not because we wanted to necessarily lay people off. We had to make those decisions so we could continue to be a business. And that's where you're like, your business acumen has to kick in uh, sometimes where you just say like, 
I got to do this. There's a lot of strategy involved. And I think what I'm the most proud of for my team is that those directors really stepped up and started to showcase the skills that they had. And when they were falling down, then we were saying, okay, well now, how are we going to build you back up? How are we going to get you to that point? And then when you think of yourself, the Kirsten in January of 2020, I mean, I know the Kirsten of 2019 and, and the Kirsten of 2020. Who is Kirsten in 2021? Who is she? What is she most proud of? And what is she looking forward to that's on the horizon for her? It was a huge aha moment when we decided to open up, uh, not only uh, negotiate a new lease on a building and built an entire new program for kindergartners. And then we decided, okay, well, now we're going to do it for school agers. So taking our space from two locations to four within one year was such a huge moment for me to realize I'm a very brave, uh, courageous leader. And I think that that's where I really looked at myself and thought, okay, I have the ability to strategically look at information and data and make decisions that will impact the entire projection of a company within a, within a year and save 30 families from leaving us because they didn't know what to do. And I can do that. And I know my instincts are on point. I know how to do this. I know how to open programs. We opened our kindergarten in like four days, built it, negotiated contracts, all of that within a month. And it really was a just a huge moment for me that school teaches you a lot, but life teaches you even more. And being able to like put boots on the ground and say, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to save those families. We have to save that tuition and negotiate contracts and find buildings and go to landlords and talk to, you know, state licensing. That can be done. It can, uh, but you've got to know how to do it. And my instincts were just so on point. And I think this year, I just really have realized that I am a very brave not brave like Brene Brown brave. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just brave in a different sense of like, you have to be willing to take risks. Like what if those families would not have said yes to our kindergarten? We negotiated contracts. We hired teachers. What if they didn't agree to stay? Um, and so like having the ability to call all those families and say, hey, your, your kindergartner is going to suffer most likely by remote learning. Let me help you. I have a program I can give you same price, same tuition point, nothing changes in your life. You're already used to paying our tuition. Come on, come to my program. And every single family that was going to leave stayed. And, and we kept their siblings. And that was the, like, the other icing on the cake. I can't lose your siblings. And so being able to look at that and take that data in and say, yeah, we can do this and make it work was just a huge aha moment that I can make those things happen. Kirsten is brave, and she's a daring leader who made daily and sometimes hourly decisions to trust her skills. Kirsten had done the reps. She's had hard conversations. She's done the work. And so when these hard moments came, she was ready. For the leader who's listening, I hope you take inspiration. I hope that you find from this conversation that with hard work, with discipline, and the focus on the right things, you can achieve what you're setting out to build. Remember, everything that you need is inside of you. Right now, Kirsten and I would love to hear from you in our Facebook group, the Schools of Excellence Lounge. 
What are your insights and aha moments or light bulb moments from our conversation together? And are there any follow-up questions that you have for Kirsten? We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. Hey there, it's Connie. And I wanted to share with you about my special Build to Last workshop. So last time we did this workshop, we did it in March and we had over 700 early childhood leaders from all over the world join us. And I mean, from all over the world, I mean, as far as India, Australia, all parts of Africa, Canada, the US, Italy. We had some people from Hawaii, Australia. It was amazing. So the reason we're doing it again is because it was such a huge success from the aspect of people got amazing transformational results within the first couple days of this workshop. So I wanna walk you through what it's all about and why you should sign up if you are a school leader. So in this workshop, I'm gonna be going over the three sustainable pillars to build and sustain your school of excellence. Pillar number one, mindset. Pillar number two, time. And pillar number three, culture. And within culture, I'm gonna be doing a bonus session with you guys on conflict, how to have difficult and impossible conversations. So this is gonna be a four day experience where every single day I'm gonna be teaching, training, coaching, and advising you guys on all of these different pillars. And what's even more so is I'm going to give you a very special workbook where you're going to be able to take notes, see the exercises, the practices, the prompts, the scripts, all the things that you need. Because in those four days, here's what I know, you're busy. You don't have extra time to do a workshop. You don't have extra time to do things that aren't going to deliver a result in your school. And that is why I'm committed to every single minute in this workshop is gonna be valuable for you. It's going to give you practical strategies that you can implement right away in your school. So if you're thinking, oh, I'd really love to sign up for this, but I don't have time, guess what? It's gonna be recorded. So even if you can't show up live, you can get access to the recording within the first week. After that, the recordings are gonna go down. And if you're saying, oh, I would really love to join this, but I actually don't even have time to watch a recording, here's what I wanna tell you. If you don't have time, this is why you wanna be on here because on day two, I'm gonna be teaching you about effective time strategies and how to focus on key priorities that move your school forward and how to delegate, delete, and outsource anything that doesn't move your school forward. So if you're wondering, or if you're thinking about, goodness, I would love to have more peace of mind. I would love to have more of an ability to focus on the things I need to build and sustain my school of excellence, build an amazing school culture, build a place where teachers have step by and where they wanna come, where parents see us as professionals, not babysitters, where I have the energy, the focus, the time, the mental space, the resilience, the confidence to trust my decision-making, guys, this is the place, the Build to Last workshop. So all you need to do is go to hani.me slash build to last or click the link over here in the show notes, in the description, in the comments, wherever it is, and sign up. And right after you sign up, you're going to get access to an incredible community of people who all want to do this amazing stuff with you. So I can't wait to see you there. Hani.me slash build to last. Sign up. Can't wait to see you there. All right. Take care. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.